Well, greetings and God bless, church. I hope that you are ready for the word. I hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by that powerful worship. Can we give it up for Minister Dwayne Crocker Jr. and his entire team? Thank you so much for serving us and ushering us into the presence of God. We speak a blessing upon you and that God would continue to expand you as you have served us so well. Our text today is again in Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57, heading to verse 62. Don't plan on being long today, but want to give you something, the part two of our focus series. Before I get into it, last week as I was praying for the nation, I did not know the results of the election yet. We had recorded it prior to the election being projected out. So we want to congratulate um, our new president, our president-elect, Joseph Biden. Um, he has been elected. We pray for him that he would lead with integrity, with strength, uh, that he would be concerned with the causes of mercy, equity, and justice, uh, that he would be faithful, not just to himself and people like him, but to all of the country, liberty and justice. Justice for all. We pray for our president. If you know anything about us, you know that we will consistently pray for our governmental officials, regardless of their party, regardless of their policies. But I just want to highlight that he's not leading by himself. He is also leading alongside a vice president elect in Senator Kamala Harris, now Vice President Kamala Harris. Um, who is the first woman vice president of this country and also the first person of color. She is a black woman and also of South Asian descent. And this is really important for me. It drives home uh, just this reality of representation and why it is so important. I know for some people, representation is less of a concern or less of a matter. But for those of us who have been systemically oppressed and pushed to the margins, for those of us not that we consider ourselves to be victims, not that we consider ourselves not to have agency, but for those of us who have been systemically ignored by our country, it is powerful for us to see people who look like us leading our land. I remember when President Obama was elected in 2008 and then again in 2012, I did not as a young black man have a proper appreciation for what it meant to see someone who looked like me, to see someone who looks like, eventually would look like my children, leading our country, to see that barrier being broken. And, and as now a, a father of a two-year-old daughter and also a one-year-old son, I cherish the fact that they're going to be able to grow up and look at the top of the country and the highest office in the land, the second highest office, and be able to see someone who looks like them. This matters. I think of all the black women in our congregation and all the women of color who are watching and who are able to view this as something that now because of this, now even the years of misogyny and patriarchy and sexism, come on, it exists, come on. All these things that exist in our land now, there is a moment of breath, a moment of relief, a moment of excitement. So can we pray for our leaders and can we also pray for ourselves as well? Father, we acknowledge that you are God over all. You say in your word that you are king of kings, Lord of lords. Even the highest authority in our land ultimately responds and bows down to you. God, we know that you do things well. And so, Father, right now, even as we have this moment where we are transitioning power, I pray that things will be done decently and in order. I pray that there will be no strife and tension. Where it does exist, God, I pray that you would foil the plans of those who want to sow conflict or foment violence, God. 
And I pray for all of our leaders, the ones who currently exist and the ones who are transitioning in. I pray for President-elect Biden that you would lead him and guide him according to strength. He even quoted in his acceptance speech, scripture from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and various other passages. I pray he'd live that out, not just say it to make us feel good, but I pray he would live it out. Justice, equity, and peace for all. I pray for Senator Kamala Harris, who is now our vice president. I pray that you would uplift her, that you would protect and insulate her from the vicious attacks of people around who do not like to see a shift in power or a shift in in the representation of how our country is led. And I pray that it would be a, a shining example to us. I pray there would be an uplifting example that people who look like us can indeed occupy some of the highest offices in our land. I pray it would expand the possibilities of our young people and our children, God, that they would see things that they have never seen before, dream dreams that they've never even dreamed before. And we pray for the previous administration, President Trump, Vice President Pence. I pray that you would draw them even closer to you. I pray, God, that they would uh, push for peace. I pray that they would sow peace, not discord, not conflict in this moment. And God, I also pray for where it's necessary, God, I pray that they would continue to do the work that you have called them to do and the responsibilities of their office. God, we pray for peace in our nation. We know that there are those who would like to to seize upon these moments to attack and harm us, to attack the marginalized and the oppressed and the people who are on the underside of the kingdom. God, I pray that we as, as Christians would be peacemakers, not peacekeepers, just saying peace, peace when there is none, but peacemakers, God. I pray that we would serve our neighbors well and love you accordingly. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Thank you so much for praying with me for our elected officials. Luke chapter 9, verse 57 to 62, I'll read it, then we'll get into our time today. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you, you meaning Jesus, wherever you go. Jesus replied, wait a minute, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I want to talk about this theme here in part two of our focus series, I'm all in. I'm all in. Why don't you type that in the comments? I'm all in. I'm all in. Now, as you know, last week we started our focus series going in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, and we talked about this in the idea that Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. He set his face towards his purpose. And as we think about focus, we are trying to ask and answer the question well, how do we follow a focused Savior in a distracted society? How do we follow a focused Savior in a distracted society? As we were thinking about this idea and theme of focus, setting our eyes, removing distractions, focusing on the thing that God has called for us to, I wanted to undergird this by saying this is a theology of purpose, a theology of purpose. And for you to understand focus, you must absolutely understand what focus means to the believer. Focus is, catch this, the clarity to, the clarity to direct your attention on what you have been called to do and who called you to do it. 
focuses the clarity to direct your attention on what you have been called to do and who called you to do it. Now, I want to talk about this theme, All In, and this is meaningful to me because my favorite channel growing up, when I was a kid, my favorite channel growing up was ESPN. Anybody feel me? If your favorite channel was ESPN, can you put your hand up in the comments? There are a couple of reasons why ESPN was my favorite channel, not just because it housed all of my favorite sports, right? Basketball and football and track and field, even in many cases, boxing. There was something special about ESPN because it was the hub of where you could get all of the sports highlights. You get all the sports highlights at ESPN. Now, this was different. Most people now watch ESPN for the debates. They watch it for the clashes of ideas, the thoughts of who's better, MJ or LeBron, the thoughts of, of which team is going to win. Is it the Chiefs or is it the Buccaneers? You know, there's this idea, there's argument that drives sports television today. That wasn't the case back in the day. That was actually a minimal portion of what ESPN's programming was. And the reason is because you did not have a smartphone. And now that we have smartphones, now we have access to all of the highlights. So we can receive those without going on to a television screen and watching them. But you stay to watch the highlights, even when the game was over, when the college basketball game had expired. You stayed up late to watch all of the highlights. Now, once SportsCenter ended all the highlights, there was something that would happen after the main programming slate at ESPN. They would start to show obscure sports. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. They start to show archery and fencing and all kinds of things, cornhole, who knows what in the world they're doing, but they would start to show these obscure sports later in the night. And one night I was staying up and I was watching and then I tuned in to another one of these obscure sports that eventually became extremely popular. Uh, you probably know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the World Series of Poker. The World Series of Poker. Now, I got some poker chips here, and I know you guys are probably thinking, Pastor, why do you have poker chips here? Well, I want to illustrate this to you. I didn't watch poker because I loved playing poker. Matter of fact, I couldn't play poker. I still can't play poker. Why, you might ask? Because, see, I grew up in a save, save household. Some of y'all know about this. Y'all paper Bible saved. Y'all real save, saved. Y'all Sunday morning, Saturday evening, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night saved. Y'all the type of people that say, uh, giving honor to God who is the head of my life. Y'all that saved, right? Y'all deliverance service saved. Y'all tarrying saved. Y'all save, saved. And, and see, when you grow up in a save, save household, if you play with cards, that's gambling. <laughs> Some of y'all, new school don't understand this, but if you play with cards, that's gambling, right? You play with cards, you, you out here doing this? Oh, no, that's gambling. You casting lots. You're not supposed to do that as a believer. But I didn't like watching this because I knew how to play poker. I like watching the World Series of Poker because of the high drama. I like watching the World Series of Poker because at one point in time in the game, someone would utter these words, I'm all in. And what they meant is they would take the collection of their chips and they would push all of their chips into the center of the table. And by pushing all of their chips into the center of the table, they're saying, I'm going to risk it all. I'm going to risk everything that I have based upon these two cards, whatever they may be. And I'm going to assume, I'm going to make a calculated bet. I'm going to take a risk to believe that the cards that are coming on the flop and the turn and the river will be in my favor. I'll have the high card and I'll maintain my money and get yours. There was high drama involved. 
And I watched as these players would have to manage the risk, the risk, the ambition of getting more money and also the patience and the discipline to know when to move forward in the right timing. When do I have the proper hand? And I watched all of these men and women and they would sit back and they would be holding their breath as the cards would turn over and the flop and the turn and the river. And then they would either shout in exuberation or they would slump down in agony. And they had to take a risk. They had to basically say, I'm all in. And I lived for that moment because it was high drama. You would have to watch the other players and their tics and their body language and their, the, the way in which they reacted to the cards that would give you a sense. And poker is so interesting because you can call all in pretty much at any point in time that you want to. And you wanted to make a reasonable assertion that when you go all in, your decision would be rewarded. When you go all in, your decision would be rewarded. Why am I talking to you about this concept? I'm talking to you about this concept because I want to give you a rude awakening, church. Are you ready? I want to give you a rude awakening. It's this statement, your calling will cost you. <laughs> your calling will cost you. I know it seems like when God called you to do something that you're going to have everything that you needed when you needed it. I know you might have been under the misconception that once God called you into something, he was calling you into a life of ease. He was calling you into a life of safety. He was calling you into a life where everything was going to go your way. I know that's what it may seem like to you, but let me burst that bubble this morning. Your calling will cost you. Your calling comes with the cost. You need to understand this. Salvation is free, but your calling costs. <laughs> Salvation is free, but your calling costs. Just because you've made the decision to follow Jesus and your home is in heaven, just because you've made the decision to say, yes, I will follow after you, it is a narrow road. It is a difficult road. It will cost you many things and your calling, just because your salvation is free, know that your calling is not cheap. It will cost you. How much does it cost, church, to follow Jesus? <laughs> How much does it cost, church, to follow Jesus? When we talk about following Jesus, it's important for us to center in the most important reality. The most important reality of following Jesus is following him in eternity. It is following him in the decision to transfer all of your hope and your trust and your faith on the person and work of Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. It is the name of Jesus Christ. Come on. How many of you are glad that you're saved? How many of you are happy that God has called you to follow after him in salvation? How many of you are glad that your eternity is secure? How many of you are glad that you're able to follow him without fear of punishment or damnation? That you can follow after Jesus because you have trusted in him. You have placed your faith in him. Come on. How many happy to be saved folks are there out there? Come on. Put your hands together and thank God for saving you for by grace we have been saved through faith and that it's not of ourselves it is a gift of God not of works lest any person should be able to boast God has saved us but secondarily following God also means your calling as well the things that God has purposed for you to do your vocation your vocare to call your invitation into the mission and work of God every single person has a calling and as you think about being focused, it is important for you to realize that your focus will require you to be all in. It is interesting, earlier in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is talking about this concept of what it means for us to be all in. He says it like this in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 21, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, 
The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. Get this. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow after me, whoever wants to do the calling that I set out for them, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. And then he says this, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul? It is interesting because we must realize that no one sets out to do the thing that God has called them to do without considering the fact that it will cost them. There are generations of Christians who have come into faith in Jesus in past centuries or in this time right now who have not properly counted the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. And I don't want you, church, to be in the number of people who say with a loud voice, with boisterous, say it with your chest that you follow Jesus. Say it with your chest that you're focused on the calling and not realize that that calling will cost you. I'm speaking to someone today. I'm speaking to someone today who looks back on their lives and sees the direction and the trajectory that Jesus put them through and is asking the question, is it worth it? Was it worth it for me to deny this opportunity? Was it worth it for me to say no to this person? Was it worth it for me to say no to this opportunity and to this network to move into a place of uncertainty and doubt and fear and concern and worry according to man's standards? Was it worth it? And I'm here to tell you that your calling is supposed to cost you. Again, Jesus says, Luke 14, catch this. Luke 14, verse 28, for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. <laughs> if you're going to say you're focused, if you're going to say I'm part of my calling, if you're going to say I fix my eyes resolutely on my purpose, what I'm supposed to do for the joy that is set before me, you have to calculate the cost. You have to count the cost. And again, I want you to realize this reality that your calling will cost you. Jesus is speaking to a number of people in this text. And over the next 10 or so minutes, I want to excavate what Jesus is trying to say in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Let's start there and read two verses here. As they were walking along a road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Call, your calling is going to cost you three things. You ready? Your calling first is going to cost you your comfort. <laughs> your calling will cost you your comfort. There is first a declaration that is made in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. As they were walking along a road, a man said to him randomly, I'll follow you wherever you go. You have to understand that in alternate passages and cross-references of this very text, it is revealed to us that this man is a scribe or a teacher of the law. And it's interesting because it seems like Jesus is trying to give him a rude awakening, but in this entirety of this passage, it seems like Jesus is being a little rude. Okay, Jesus had a little gangster in him, all right? Jesus had a little bit of chip on his shoulder. Jesus was telling him, nah, 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 you're not going to be able to follow me because, see, the foxes have holes and even the birds have nests, but I don't even have a place to lay my head. I'm homeless, and you think you want to follow me? I'm like, man, Jesus, that's kind of strong. But when you realize that he is a teacher of the law, you start to realize what this man was attempting to do. This man was attempting to secure advancement with a greater rabbi. <laughs> come here, come here. Let me give you some background. 
in that context, what you were supposed to do is you were supposed to identify a rabbi who was greater than you, who was more advanced than you, and you were supposed to follow that rabbi. And as you followed that rabbi, it's said that you would be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And so this ancient uh, admonishment to young teachers was, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you follow after your rabbi. And because Jesus was seen as so popular, Jesus was seen as so famous. He was doing miracles. He was excavating so many things. He was challenging the religious leaders and the scribes and the Pharisees. It seemed as though Jesus was a great person for him to to secure career advancement from. It seems as though Jesus was a great person for him to be able to prop up himself. It seemed as though Jesus was a great person for him to follow after. And and Jesus was trying to burst this man's bubble. He said, wait a second. You're not following me into, into comfort. You're following me into uncertainty. Some of us have decided to follow Jesus because we think it's the most comfortable life for ourselves. Some of us have decided to follow Jesus because we believe that that leads to some sort of advancement. We believe that that leads to some sort of ultimate prosperity. And it's true. In heaven, we are guaranteed prosperity. In eternity, we are guaranteed to be uh, lavished by God all the blessings and the good gifts without the stain of sin. But here's the problem. That doesn't mean anything for right now. And I know some of you might be thinking, God, it seems to me. Like if I wanted to follow you, you would take care of me in everything that I wanted. That's the problem. Some of us have made this declaration and this declaration has kept us from advancing in our calling. You ready? I can't make it without blank. When I wake up every morning, before anybody says anything to me, including the kids, cute as they may be, I need a drop of coffee. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I need at least a drop of coffee. I need some caffeine. I know it's an addiction. Pray for me. God's going to set me free. But I need a little bit of coffee to get through my day. I need it to start my day. And if I don't have my coffee, I feel different. I can't live without my coffee. How many of you know I can live without my coffee? You can live without your coffee. I'm just pronouncing weight and desire and importance onto something that will ultimately not sustain me. Catch this. Many of us have said, I can't live without, and God is saying, that's the reason why you can't sit here and advance in your calling. The reason you can't is because you have added stipulations onto the fact of following me, and so what you're doing is you're saying, God, I'll follow you wherever you go if you do this for me. I'll follow you wherever you go because I know that following Jesus is a safe bet. It's going to lead me into all the comfort that I need. Some of us are addicted to comfort. Some of us are addicted to safety. Some of us are addicted to this idea that life is going to be cushy and life is going to be comfortable and there's going to be no uncertainty. Can I burst that bubble? All the people who follow Jesus will endure persecution. All the people who follow their calling will endure trials and tribulations. But here's what Jesus says, I'll be with you in the midst of it. So Jesus is asking the man this question, am I enough? He's asking you this question, am I enough? Is it enough just to follow me and not know where you're going to lay your head? Is it enough to push all your chips in? Is it enough for you to sacrifice these things? Come on, sacrifice your career advancement for me. It seems as though this man was making a good bet. Oh, he's a great rabbi. But what did I just read for you earlier? He tells his own disciples, I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. And three days later, I'm going to rise again. But they're going to kill me. All the people who follow Jesus in this passage, his 12 disciples, 
all of them experienced extreme persecution. Eleven of them were killed for their faith. And one of them, they tried everything possible to kill him. And Jesus is trying to say this. Okay, is it worth it? You going to go all in for me? You going to drop your chips? You going to push them all in? This is what you going to do? Some of us have such an addiction to comfort that we're hoarding the things we should be pushing in. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. If you're going to follow after me, no, you can't just, you can't expect to have comfort. You have to push everything in. Your addiction to safety, your addiction to the things of this world must be sacrificed. This includes your calling. If your calling makes you uncomfortable, that's a good sign that it's from God. If your calling makes you uncomfortable, that's a good sign that it's from God. That's not the only person that he talks to, though. He goes on. Look at verse uh, 59. He said to another man, follow me. Now, this is different because in the first and the third examples, Jesus actually gets volunteered. Someone volunteers themselves to him. But in this example, Jesus reaches out to someone. He says, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Uh, second thing that your calling is going to cost you, your calling is going to cost you your comfort. But your calling, number two, will cost you your control. Your calling will cost you your control. Type control in the comments. One of the things I know about us as believers, as Westerners, as Americans, is that we love this idea of being in control. We love this idea of having the reins. We love this idea of of having control over something, being able to dictate what happens and what doesn't happen. And, and we really like control when it comes to the narrative of our lives. Now, I know when you read this, it seems like Jesus is being unnecessarily harsh to this man. You might read this mistakenly and think that Jesus was telling this man to leave his dead father behind. Well, technically he was, but his father, according to scholars, couldn't have been dead yet. You see, it would be wrong for him to even be in the presence of Jesus without burying his father. They would even bury their loved ones and their friends and their relatives very quickly, much quicker than what we do now. It wouldn't be a week. Sometimes it would be a day or two that they would go ahead and bury their dead. And here's the interesting thing, though. The interesting thing about this is Jesus is challenging this man's control. He's challenging his control because once he buried his father, if you know anything about Jewish culture, once he buried his father and fulfilled that responsibility, number one, he would be seen as an honorable son. And number two, not just being an honorable son, but he would also receive an inheritance. <laughs> you know what it is. He would receive a blessed life insurance policy on behalf of his father. He would receive all of the wealth and the things that the family had accrued over time. And it seems as though Jesus is challenging this man's control. If you want to follow after me, if you truly believe that you're called to do so, you volunteer to do so, then you must make sure that you are not in charge or in control of your own narrative. I'm sure I could imagine what this young man thought. He probably thought, hey, listen, Jesus, I'm going to get a nice check, and then I'll be able to tithe it into your kingdom. Jesus, I'll, I'll get some money. Then I'll be able to pour it in to what you do. Je Jesus, come on, come on. I, I got it. I got it. I, I've got it all planned out. I, I know nobody else has done this. Jesus, here's what I'll do. I'll do this in this order. And as I do it in this order, trust me, you'll get the best benefit. Because I figured it out in my head. 
I figured it out in my head that I need this before I go here. I need a college degree before I'm able to fully walk in my calling. Oh, no, Jesus, I need this, this level of house before I'm able to walk in my calling. Jesus, I need to drive this car before I'm able to walk in my calling. I, I, you know, first things first, got to have stability, you know, got to do the things that I'm supposed to do. You know what I'm saying, right? And we allow what people think about us to control the narrative. And we allow what we think about ourselves to control the narrative of how we're perceived to other people and how God perceives us. And God says that's nothing but a lie from the pit of hell itself. Just because you think that you are able to know better than me, you don't see the whole board like I see it. You're trying to hang on to a couple of chips. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to hang on to control. There's something when I was watching the World Series of Poker. When I was watching the World Series of Poker, there would be these, there would be these players and you know what they would do? They would never go all in. They would never go all in. They'd just be giving their chips away, slowly but surely. And I'm like, at first, you know, they seemed to be very patient. But over time, their stack would decrease. They'd give their chips away. They'd give a little bit here, never go all in. Give a little bit here, never go all in. Give a little bit there, never go all in. A little bit there, never go all in. And I'm thinking at a certain point, don't you want to get more chips? Isn't that the point of the game? The point of the game is to get more chips, right? Don't you want to get more chips? Don't you want to get more money? Don't you want to win this game? And they just, oh, well, you know, just going to do this. Well, let me just go ahead because, you know, everybody expects me to be at this same job for a while, you know. It's not going to look good on a resume if I leave two years in, you know. Got to get my five years. Well, you know, uh, you know, my parents expect me to go and get that Ph.D., you know, so I got to live up to the standard of the family. Yeah, God called me to preach and teach, and, you know, God called me to serve other people, but, you know, it don't make money, so got to. And we're auctioning off chips, and we're giving away. Why? Because we want to take control over our narrative. We want to control the things that God would push us into. And instead of going risky and going all in, we can't control when we take risk. We can't control when we follow after God. So we would rather hoard that control for ourselves and control the narrative of what somebody thinks about you. Can I help you? It doesn't matter if someone thinks that you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. When you stand before God, the only thing he's going to ask you is, what did you do with the call? that I gave you? What did you do with the thing that I told you to do? And many of us are hoarding our chips, not realizing that we're losing the game, not realizing that we're not willing to go all in because we're scared, not of failure, but of being out of control. Someone in here is listening and someone needs to hear this. You're not afraid of failure. You're afraid of losing control. And God says, if you're going to follow after me, Lose control. Let the dead bury their dead. Don't control the narrative of what people think about you. You know what 2020 has taught me? 2020 has taught me <laughs> that it is a futile pursuit for me to worry about what people think about me. It is a futile pursuit for me to worry about what other people say about me. Because here's the thing. All people got time to do now is stay online and talk. It's not about what they think about me. I can't control what they think about me. I can only control my level of commitment to the calling that God has for me. Somebody needs to hear me. It is not about a fear of failure. It is about the fear of losing control. And we have a control problem in this country. We want to cling to the things that God has called for us to relinquish. You weren't promised some of the things you're clinging to so hard. And God is saying, you want these chips? This all you want? You just want a couple of chips at the end? 
Push it all in. Take the risk. And it's going to cost you regardless. But at least the reward can be the ultimate approval of the one who called you in the first place. Are you hearing me, church? It's not about a a fear of failure. It's about a fear of control. Young people, (laughs) hear me. You're not going to be able to control your life. One of the greatest mistakes that I made is I thought that because my parents were successful and my parents did the right things, that I had to live up to their level of success. I had to do everything that I thought would make them proud. And I didn't realize that they were already proud of me regardless. They said, it doesn't really matter what you end up doing. We're proud of you as long as you continue to follow God. We're proud of you. We love you. And I had this mentality that I had to live up to the standard. I had this mentality that I had to advance the family further. And for years, I pushed away from my calling, or I'll be half in, half out, one foot here, one foot there, because I was afraid of losing control of the narrative. You can't be afraid of losing control. God has called us to risk. Finally, Jesus talks with the third man, and then we're, we're done. Still another said, verse 61, I will follow you, Lord, but first, let me go back, say goodbye to my family. <laughs> Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus, again, being real harsh here. First man, he says, your calling will cost you your comfort. Second man, your calling will cost you your control. Third thing, your calling will cost you your conditions. Your calling will cost you your conditions. What am I talking about here? Conditions are the things that we try to bargain and negotiate with God so that we won't have to fully do what he's called us to do. Can I give you an example? Here's what he says, verse 61. I will follow you, Lord, but I'll follow you, Lord, if I'll follow you, Lord. Hang on, though. I'll follow you, Lord, yet I'll follow you, Lord, conjunction, I'll follow you if, I'll follow you based upon the conditions, I'll follow you. God, if you get me out of this, how many of y'all said this? If you get me out of this, I'll serve you forever. God is like, wait a second, so it's conditional upon me getting you out of something? You doing what you know you're supposed to do? Here Jesus is trying to challenge his conditions. He's trying to challenge his control over the situation and his conditional commitment to God. Some of us do not have a full commitment to God, we have a conditional commitment to God. Our conditional commitment is, God, I'll follow you in exchange for something else. And God is like, hang on, it doesn't work like that. Some of us are so desirous of the condition and of making sure that we do what we want to do while we serve God. You can't do both. Someone needs to hear this. Some of us are following, not following our calling because we want to hang on to the things that we want. Want to hang on to it. We want to straddle the fence. God, I can do your calling. I can do your calling. I can remain focused. I can remain focused enough. God, yeah, I'm following after your calling, but let me hang on to this person. Yeah, God, I'm going to follow after your calling, but, but, uh, you know, know, let me just hang on to this, a little bit of it. Yeah, God, I'm going to follow your calling, but I want to do this too. Can I do both, God? And God is saying, are you all in or are you partially in? Can Can I say something here? There are some of us, who are addicted to the idea of normal. There are some of us who are addicted to the idea of what normal will look like post-pandemic. There's this big conversation going on right now. We're in a new normal. It's a new normal. And God is saying, you don't even know what normal looks like yet. 
Some of us are looking back. He says, nobody who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. He's using an agrarian analogy. He's saying that those who are plowing must continue to stay straight and look forward so that the plowing does not go over into another plot so that the way in which they plow will be symmetrical with what they are supposed to plant. And if you plant wrong, you're not going to reap the crops. If you don't reap the crops, you can't eat. And beyond that, you can't generate industry. It is important for you to keep your hands on the plow and look forward. That's why your focus is important, church. And many of us are serving God looking back. We're serving God with one eye forward, one eye creeping back. God is saying it don't work like that. No conditions if you follow me. I think God is looking for some people today who are willing to go all in, who are saying, I'll take all the chips. I'll put all the chips. Some of them might fall off the table. I want to push it all in, God. I know my hand and the hand that you've given to me might not be the hand that I wanted, might not be what I desire, might not be what I thought I should have, but no matter what, I'm going to push all in. You going to push all in today, church? Your calling is going to cost you your comfort, your control, your conditions, even more than that. These are just three in this passage. And I want to challenge you to go all in. Focus is the clarity to direct your attention to what God has called you to and who called you to do it. I want to challenge you. It's time to go all in, church. We're going to talk about how you accomplish your calling, how you find your calling, what you do, who you should have around you, where you should pursue your calling. We're going to talk about all that over the next two weeks. But if you are not ready to be all in, today is the day. First of all, if you're not ready to be all in in the context of salvation, today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to say, Jesus, I will follow you and I will commit myself to you. But beyond that, not just that, but if you are not committed in your calling, today is the day. Last week, we did a focus fast when it comes to digital media. Starting tomorrow, we're going to do a three-day fast. And again, I hope that you've written down your purpose statement because we're going to talk about it this week in our midweek Bible study on Tuesday. It will be on Tuesday this week. And in our midweek Bible study, I'm going to excavate and talk about this thing after we talk about the final I am statement. And I really want you to commit yourself to focusing your heart. And as you fast, it can be a Daniel fast, it can be a liquids only fast, it can be a total fast, whatever is healthy for you. There's a, a, a link in the comments here in the chat. And in the chat, in that pinned comment, you have an opportunity to see some guidelines for fasting and why it's so powerful. But I encourage you to do something. Do something. Fast something that you normally like. Fast something that you would normally uh, satiate yourself with because God wants to challenge your commitment. Your calling will cost you. You have to go all in, church. Will you lift up your hands right now? God, I pray for those right now who are struggling with their calling, who have sat back, and they have been conditional. They have attached themselves to comfort. They have tried to maintain control. God is calling them to go all in today. God, you're calling all of us to go all in today. I pray, God, that we push all our chips in. <laughs> Everything, all the things that would cost us, everything that seems as though it's too much for us to sacrifice. And I pray that we would say it is worthy to be sacrificed in pursuit of what God has called for me to do. I pray for those who need courage, who need strength, 
who need commitment, I pray that you would move upon their hearts right now. May we all be completely in, all in to what you've called us to do. And may you reward us with more of your presence in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Thank you so much, church. I pray that you'll be all in this week. Let's get ready to fast and remain focused. I love you so much. We'll see you next week. Well, hey, church, I hope that that encouraged you as we continue our focus series. It is so important for us to remember that we are called to follow after Jesus. And that first starts again with salvation. And if you're wondering, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I am a part of the family of God. It's very simple. It is just a prayer away. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I acknowledge that I have sinned against you. I believe that you died and you rose again. For, for my sins and for the sins of the entire world. And now I will trust and follow you for the rest of my life. Whatever variation you say that in, if you confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart, you are saved. Welcome to the family of God. I know it might seem like you don't know what to do, but I want you to put home in the comments, the word home in the comments, all caps. And our social media team will reach out to you and give you some literature, help guide you further on what you are supposed to do as you move forward. I also wanna encourage you as you're moving into this particular moment of us being focused, I wanna encourage you to join us on our Focus Fast. You can do so in the pinned comment. There is a link that says Focus Fast. There's a pinned comment there. And you can click that link and it'll give you the steps for what it means to fast. This is a powerful time for us to center our hearts and allow God to speak to us as we continue to focus on what he has called for us to do. If you didn't have a chance to give, you can do so in three easy ways. You can go to the Tively app and type New Dimensions Christian Center. You can go to our website, ndccpensacola.org and click offerings, or you can mail it in, P.O. Box 6400, Pensacola, Florida, 32503. Church, thank you so much for joining us. I pray that the worship has uplifted you. The word has challenged you. I pray that you have been changed today and motivated to go all in. We'll see you on Tuesday at Midweek Bible Study right here on our NDCC Facebook or YouTube page. And we'll see you next week for another sermon series from our Focus series. We're so excited about what God is doing. Our calling is so important and we must remain focused on it. Well, I'm praying blessings upon you this week. Stay safe, and we'll see you next week right here at New Dimensions Christian Center, where our destiny is helping you to unlock your destiny. Be blessed. Know the way, hey, know the way.